5AA Nights with Matthew Pantelis. Let's talk about World War II. And spying was an issue then, of course, too. But there was an internment camp here in South Australia, the Loveday internment camp, and uh, it was near Barmara. I don't know much about Loveday. Uh, I knew we had internment camps, but not uh, not a big one. In fact, not the biggest in Australia, 5,000-odd people there. The diary of uh, a Japanese man who was held there for some four years has been... Uh, uncovered, and uh, it's used to basically come up with uh, a a book on his experiences. Four years in a red coat, the Loveday internment camp diary of Mayakatsu Koiki, and uh, Professor of History at Flinders Uni, uh, Peter Monteith, is behind that, and uh, he joins me now. Peter, good evening to you. Good evening to you, Matthew. Did I? Thank you for your time, firstly. Did I get get the uh, chap's name right? (laughs) You did, okay, yeah. I, look, I'm not a Japanese speaker myself. I didn't do the translation, but uh, I, I think you're pretty close to spot on. All right, my Katsu Koiki. Now, tell us a little bit about him and, and Love Day. What have you found out? Yeah, so this man was Japanese-born. He was from the mainland, but in the 1930s, he was living and working in Surabaya in what was then the Dutch East Indies, what's today Indonesia. And when war began in the Pacific, so straight after Pearl Harbour, he was arrested by the Dutch East Indies authorities and he was kept in an internment camp in the Dutch East Indies for a bit, but then he was brought to Adelaide and from Adelaide he was taken up to to Barmera, to Loveday, and he arrived there right at the end of January of 1941. And by the time he got there, there was already... A camp there, as you said in the intro, um, it was on the way to becoming the biggest internment camp in Australia. And he and others from the Dutch East Indies, but people from many parts of the world, um, spent time in Love Day. In his case, uh, as the book's title suggests, he was there for four years, um, along with lots of other Japanese, whether they were from uh, the Dutch East Indies, whether they were from New Caledonia or whether they'd been living in Australia before the war. Um, altogether, upwards of 1,500 of them. Uh, and then there were Germans, there were Italians, they were the big groups, and then other people from, from different parts of the world hmm. spent some time during the war in, in Love Day. Now, his story, I guess it, it must be, I imagine, typical of many of the people who were kept there. Um, his experiences, what, what, what did he write about? Partly he's writing about his day-to-day experiences, um, how he coped with um, detention over a very long time, mm. um, and, and being a civilian internee as he was. So we're not talking about someone who was a POW. He, he, this guy, he worked in a bank. And, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, he, he was innocent. He, he, he wasn't a soldier. Um, but like many other civilians, he was interned and couldn't be required to work, um, had to endure detention for a very long time without, of course, having much sense of when that detention might come mm-hmm. to an end. Uh, he did do some work, so they were offered that opportunity if they wanted to, but they couldn't be required to of, of working. And lots of them, like um, Miyakatsu, decided that it would be good to work because that was one way of passing the day. So he talks about the kind of work activities he did. He talks about the other pastimes, um, how they they played lots of baseball, um, they played other sports. There was uh, sumo wrestling there. 
Uh, there were theatre performances, um, lots of ways they found as a, a, a community of internees to, to pass the time. Hmm. Did did locals seem to mind about Love Day being situated there in the Riverland at the time? No, there's not much sense that uh, the, the the locals objected to it. And one of the interesting things about um, POW, POW oh, sorry, internment camps as opposed to POW camps is that there is this level of interaction between the internees and the local population. And really for a district uh, like uh, Barmer and the Riverland, it was useful to have this workforce um, living among them and the internees, those who chose to work, um, they did go off into the community. They sometimes worked on farms. They they were engaged in woodcutting activities. So they were actually making uh, a really important contribution to the local, even the national economy, when, as you can imagine, lots of Australians were off at the war. Mm. So this um, this um, internee labour and POW labour was really important for the Australian war effort. Mm. Where is Love Day in relation to Barmer? I'm sure I've, I must have been there. I've been to Barmer on a number of occasions. I've stayed there a few times back in the late 80s, and uh, yeah. I, I don't know where Love Day is. It's 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 right outside it. So is it's it? just a, a couple of kilometres. And, and, and one of the interesting things about it, Matthew, is that there is something left of the camp to see. Yeah. Um, you know, when you think of uh, Japanese um, detained in Australia in the Second World War, you think of Kaura. You know, that's where the mass breakout was of mm-hmm. POWs. Um, but there's nothing left of the Kaura camp itself. Whereas um, Love Day, just a little outside of Barmara, has this sort of historical gem um, that's not as well known as it should be because it's a really significant historical site. Um, and um, parts of the, the, the land were sold off um, after the war, but the, the land where the headquarters were, that still has the remnants of those buildings on it. So there are things to be seen of the original Love Day camp, and, and, and it is worth a visit. There's a display there in, in the Tourist Information Centre in Barmara, um, and so it's a significant piece of Australian, South Australian history. It, you know, it was for a time probably the most multicultural place in Australia, if not the world, um, through those those war years. Hmm. Okay. So next time I'm in the area, I'm going to have a look for it. Pay it a visit, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so now the, he, I notice he was let out in February 1946. That's well after the, the war finished. That's right, yeah. Not uncommon for internees and POWs as well. Um, you know, they relied on... Um, transport being available. Um, you know, some of the Italian POWs, they weren't being sent home until 1947 or so. Um, so for, for him and for others like him, you know, he was there from end of January 41. That's over four years that, that he was um, vegetating, really, to a large extent in, mm. in this camp. And you can imagine there was a good deal of frustration after the end of hostilities. Um, that they still had to to wait to twiddle their thumbs for for some time before that um, option became available to them, um, whereby they had little choice about what happened to them at that point either. So you can imagine um, many who'd been living, for example, in um, in New Caledonia, lots of them would have preferred to return to New Caledonia, but uh, the, the government was pretty hard line, and and these people were repatriated to, to Japan. 
And of course, Japan in 1946 was in a pretty awful state. Um, so they were full of apprehension about what they would confront when they got there. Um, they had little sense of um, what Japanese people back home had been experiencing. Yeah. Um, and so that voyage back, um, which was a voyage in, in pretty awful circumstances itself, um, was one that filled them with anxiety. And, and sure enough, when they arrived back in Japan, all their, their, their fears were confirmed. Mm. What were his lasting effects? I mean, did he suffer depression? Do we know? Did he was he okay? I mean, he seems a stoic sort of bloke in in what I've seen in your descriptions of him. Yeah, look, I think stoic Matthew is a good word to use to describe him. So he's someone who was able to adapt to confinement to detention very well. He accepted his fate philosophically. Um, and I wonder even whether, you know, in, in our uh, age of the pandemic, um, you know, there are lessons here for for people who've been living with lockdown. That This is someone who finds a way to cope with his circumstances, to accept them mm. and to find ways of living as full a life as possible within um, the confines of, of an internment camp. Um, so he... He didn't regard these as wasted years. Uh, of course, at the end of them, you know, there's that horrible uh, recognition that Japan had lost the war. Uh, but he's someone who, in that Japanese community inside the camp, uh, I think is uh, a, a steadying kind of figure who, who helps uh, promote a kind of calmness uh, a stoic acceptance of circumstances. Mm, mm. And when he goes back to Japan, he um, he rejoins his wife. So, of course, his wife had been separated from him and sent back to Japan before the outbreak of war. Um, he, he's finally able to uh, rejoin her. He finds that um, uh, she had been pregnant when they were separated and that their son had died. He finds that his father had died. Um, and yet he accepts uh, all of this with, with his characteristic stoicism. Wow. Um, and returns to civilian life. He, he, he goes back to the bank for which he'd worked before the war. Mm. And then it's only in his um, bloody years when he's an octogenarian that he decides that he wants to um, consult all of these diaries that he'd kept and, and commit it all to paper. And he published a book in... Japan, um, uh, and uh, mainly for his family, uh, for his friends, um, and so it's uh, it remained just in a Japanese uh, version until now. When um, wow. you know, fortunately we were able to uh, to to find the son, um, get permission, and uh, and find someone who would do a translation of it for us. That's fantastic. What a great story. Uh, so he lived a long, a yeah, long, long, happy life by the end of it, obviously, despite some probably, I'm sure, would have been bitter memories, even even though he was a pretty calm, rational sort of bloke. He was, mm. yeah. No, he, he, he lived to a very good age and, and he remained uh, philosophical about yeah, those, yeah. those war years and that time that he'd spent in a country he knew absolutely nothing yeah. about beforehand. Uh, Ian has texted in as we've been chatting. He says a lot of the Italians in Cowra stayed in Australia after the war and settled down. Did Loveday experience the same thing where people just said, well, it's over, we'll stay? Yeah, look, um, Loveday has a, a mixture of 
people. It had lots of people, Italians included, who were living in Australia before the war, mm. and uh, and they generally stayed. Yeah. Um, but where they were people who'd been brought to Australia, um, like the Japanese, then generally they were returned to Japan. There were Japanese living in Australia, and um, they were um, often allowed to stay. The um, the POWs, and, and, and Loveday wasn't a, a POW camp, or at least only for a very brief time in, in, 19, in 1946 after the, the war where mm. there were Italian POWs there. But Italians, by international law, by the Geneva Convention, they had to be repatriated. Um, civilian internees were a bit different. But, mm. but uh, lots of those Italian POWs who also went to work on farms, you know, they would have been on farms in lots of parts of South Australia and other parts of Australia. Yeah. They formed very close bonds with uh, farming families, and many of them didn't want to return to Italy. Yeah, uh, many of them formed relationships with with uh, Australians, uh, but the law was that they had to be returned. In some cases, they returned to Italy and then came back to Australia <laughs> and, and resumed those those friendly relationships. There are lots of cases like oh, that. There'd be stories in that galore. Amazing, great stories. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Peter, really appreciate your time tonight. Uh, it's a fascinating story, just this one, and uh, I've learnt more about Love Day than I ever knew before, so that's pretty There's good. There's a lot more that could be said about Love Day. It's, uh, it's a source of endless, um, uh, brilliant stories. Do we know a lot about it? I mean, clearly we must, about yeah, some of those stories. Like- and- yeah. yeah, look, there's, there's so much more uh, to, to say because, you know, there were so many people who were there, but, mm. you know, I think because it's... You know, it's in a fairly remote part of South Australia, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's not so well known. But yeah. also it's a piece of war history that, that isn't exactly uh, foremost of mind when people think about the, the war experience. Sure. You know, more commonly, we're, we're, we're thinking about Australians and serving overseas. Yes. And yet there's this home front here, which um, is a story of its own worthy of, of attention. Absolutely. Fascinating, Peter. Thank you so much for your time tonight, and uh, good luck with the, uh, the book. My pleasure, yeah. Look, it's only just come out with Wakefield and um, I, I, I think it really is worth reading. Yeah, four years in the red coat. Thank you. Professor Thanks, Peter Monteith there from uh, Flinders Uni, history professor up there at uh, Flinders and uh, the book Four Years in the Red Coat. Uh, amazing. Or in a red coat, I should say. The Love Day Interment Camp Diary of Mayakutsu Kweki following uh, his life interned at Love Day just out of Barmara. Amazing. Who knew? 5AA Nights with Matthew Pantelis.